All right, guys, you are locked on Falcons. I'm your host, Aaron Freeman, and today is our year-in roster review of the Falcons cornerbacks in 2018. You are locked on Falcons, your daily Atlanta Falcons podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. So, guys, you know me. I'm Aaron Freeman. been covering the Falcons for many years at FalFans.com, on Twitter at FalFans, and, of course, the host of this illustrious Locked On Falcons podcast. If you're tuning in for the first time, you're probably wondering, why is this guy talking about 2018 in mid-February? And, you know, I don't have a good answer to you. I just procrastinated a little bit, and then other things sort of delayed it a little bit. Uh, You know, if everything had gone according to plan, then, um, you know, we would have been wrapping up, I think, probably special teams today instead of getting into the cornerbacks. But uh, we're going to talk about sort of my thoughts on the 2018 uh, Falcons corners and and sort of look ahead to 2019 as we have done at each position group. If if you haven't listened to the other position groups, I recommend you to go back and listen to them at your leisure uh, to get you geared up for the offseason and whatnot. Uh, because if you can't evaluate your own roster then you're definitely not going to be able to fix the, the problems that you have. And so that's part of the reason why we do this. So without further ado, let's jump into the cornerback position. We'll start off talking about Desmond Trufant. And, um, you know, I'm not going to spend a ton of time trying to convince people that Desmond Trufant's good. He is good. Uh, but if you watch the last six years of Desmond Trufant play and you have concluded that uh, he's not good or he's overrated or whatever the case may be, whatever that negative opinion that some of you guys out there have, um, then there's probably nothing I can say on today's episode that's going to convince you otherwise, so I'm not even going to try. Although I will make some points um, about why I think he's good, but I won't necessarily spend the next you know seven minutes trying to convince you otherwise. Uh, one of the things I thought was interesting looking at his pro football focus metrics was that his yards per attempt allowed this year was 6.8, which was the second lowest mark of his career. His rookie season was the only year where he had a lower yards per attempt. Uh, yards per attempt by no means is the end-all be-all of measuring quarterback, cornerbacks, but it is one way of, you know, basically saying, like, if when teams throw at you, you don't want to give up yards. And and at least based off of that metric, this was Trufant's second-best season in 2018. I don't necessarily would say that I would – this was Desmond Trufant's best, second-best season. But I do think Trufant had a better season than some people were willing to give him credit for. I do not feel like Desmond Trufant's play has really – fallen off all that much um, since the 2016 season as other people have opined. I don't think the last three years have been his best seasons. I think he was better in 2014 and 2015, but I do think he's been a pretty good cornerback the last three years. And so the notion that he's, you know, bad or struggling or declining or anything like that, I think is uh, quite a bit of a reach. Um, You know, for the life of me, I still don't understand why, you know, Certain very vocal Falcon fans have a bug up their butt about Desmond Trufant and, and also Robert Alford, who I've discussed in the past. Um, you know, I have a guess to it. I think it probably has to do with just the nature of cornerbacks getting beat and whatnot. And, and so, you know, the nature of the position is that you're going to get beat from time to time. Again, the average NFL quarterback in today's NFL, and I'm talking about quarterbacks, uh, completes 62% of their passes. So, that means that more often than not, when a quarterback throws at a cornerback, that the ball is going to get completed. And so just the nature of the position is that guys are going to get beat. And so therefore, there's a certain amount of failure that you just kind of have to accept with cornerbacks um, that I just, for whatever reason, I feel like a lot of 
fans that have been very critical or in my opinion, hypercritical of the Falcons two starting corners the last couple of seasons just will not abide by. Um, For me, at least, you know, one of the other points I will make in defense of Desmond Trufant is for those people that say he's overpaid. Um, His cap hit in 2019 is going to be 14 million. His cap hit in 2020 is going to be 15 million. And I can certainly understand why when people look at those numbers initially, they seem gaudy and, and overpaid, and certainly, you know, he's one of the, I think, seven, five to seven highest paid corners based solely off of his cap hit over the next two seasons, and most people would say he's not one of the five to seven best cornerbacks in the league, uh, which, I, you know, I'm not going to sit here and fight people over that statement. I don't have a definitive cornerback ranking like I do, you know, many other positions, so I can't really hassle and, and haggle about that one, but... What I will argue in favor of sort of the argument that he's overpaid and not worth that type of money is I think the fact that Desmond Trufant can be a shadow corner against number one receivers and not necessarily shut those guys down, but hold his own, as we saw this past year against Antonio Brown, um, the fact that he can do that means that he's worth quite a lot of money. Now, what is a number one shadow corner worth? I don't know. Uh, You know, I know Brent Grimes and his wife have an opinion on exactly what that is worth, but uh, I don't necessarily know what mine is. But I would say that 15 million for a guy like that is is not necessarily too high in my book. Um, So I I feel like the the notion that he's overpaid, I I don't really buy that for, for that very reason. So, I mean, that's that's the main thing I want to say about Desmond Trooper. I think he's good. I, I I feel like I'm I've basically grown tired of trying to defend Desmond Trufant to what I feel is a very vocal contingent of knuckleheads. It's kind of similar to me with Matt Ryan. It's like you know after a decade of of trying to fight people about Matt Ryan, I just I grow weary with, of it, and I'm just like if people want to have their terrible takes about Matt Ryan, then be my guest. I'm just going to ignore it and go about the rest of my day. I'm not going to get you know too too much you know caught up in that stuff. And, and at this point, I'm sort of reaching the same point with Desmond Trufant. Um, if people want to, you know, bash Desmond Trufant in, in other Falcon corners or former Falcon corners, then so be it, you know, that's their prerogative, but it's, it's kind of, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to move on. You know, I say this now and then, you know, six months from now, you'll see me go on a four hour Twitter argument with somebody about Desmond Trufant and I'll be like, why, you know, every time I try to get out, they, they pull me back in. But uh, yeah, we'll talk a little bit more about the upcoming Falcons cornerback and Isaiah Oliver in just a moment. But I do want to talk about other upcoming events, including the NFL draft, where you can find two podcasts related to that uh, crazy event on the Lockdown Podcast Network. They are the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast with hosts John Ledger and Trevor Sikama, the Draft News Podcast with hosts Kyle Krabs, and a recent guest of the Locked On Falcons Podcast, Joe Marino. Find them wherever you get your Locked On Podcasts, as well as at thedraftnetwork.com, your team every day. So let's talk about Isaiah Oliver, because it, you know I, I don't have a whole lot to say about Robert Alford at this point, because I said pretty much everything I, I wanted to say about him um, you know, last week when he was released. Um, and I basically summarized what my thoughts are on that 2018 season. But I guess for the, those of you that didn't listen to that episode um, and you just want a Cliff Notes version of my thoughts on Robert Alford is I thought Robert Alford had a good start to the season. I think he kind of ran into a buzzsaw a little bit. 
when he had a murderous row of number ones in A.J. Green and Antonio Brown and Mike Evans in three consecutive weeks. Then the following week, you know, it was Odell Beckham. Um, and then he got injured in that Giants game and really had a terrible game against that. Missed a game against Washington, came back against Cleveland and Dallas. And I think the ankle injury that he had suffered in that Giants game really limited him um, significantly uh, in those two games. Started to work his way back you know, over the next couple of weeks. And then, you know, within a week or two after that point was mostly healthy to the point where I wouldn't necessarily say the ankle was limiting him, but then had probably a few too many breakdowns, few too many instances of poor awareness over the last month of the season. And at that point, without sort of him having that rebound to playing like he did in September, in December, um, I think the Falcons were prepared to move on. And uh, like, you know, I'm not going to sit here and say that they were right for doing so, but I think they certainly are justified for doing so. Uh, if you can get the difference in, in those words, I don't even know if there's a difference in those words, but in my head there is. Um, so, you know, that sort of puts Isaiah Oliver and thrusts him into the starting lineup at that right cornerback spot. I think it's his job to lose. I would be surprised if he winds up losing it. Um, and so I think with, with Oliver, looking back at his 2018, disappointed by the slow start. Although if you listen to this podcast back in the summer, you know, who who was it out there? Uh, I'll give you two guesses. Their name rhymes with Baron Treeman. Um, but uh, they, they were telling you guys to pump the brakes on the Isaiah Oliver hype a little bit uh, during the summer. And, you know, he had a pretty rocky preseason. Um, and that led to him sort of having limited opportunities early in the season. Um, but when he did get opportunities to play, he flashed potential. He flashed a lot of ability. Um, I think the thing that you would say about Oliver's season, for me at least, is that he had a uh, he got to show off the length and the ball skills in a lot of ways, breaking up a, a large number of passes. If you look at his total targets according to Pro Football Focus, which he was targeted 31 times, I believe, um, and they they gave him credit for five pass breakups and one interception. That means he was contesting about 19% of his throws. Um, I personally tracked him with six pass breakups and one interception, so that would push that number up a little bit to closer to 23%. But, uh, you know, if you sort of look at that and extrapolate that over a larger target sample, like, say, 74 targets um, that Robert Alford had, according to Pro Football Focus last year, at least using Pro Football Focus is 19%, then, you know, that would be about 14 pass breakups uh, over the course of an entire season, which would have led the team this past year. You know, I think uh, they gave credit for Trufant with 12 and Alford for 11. So it's not as if they were that much lower, but that's a testament, I think, to sort of uh, Oliver's ball skills, which is a thing that we've, we've sort of hyped up on this podcast and elsewhere um, since the Falcons drafted him. For me, the one concern I have with Oliver is the speed. And the technique wasn't great this year, and I think that contributes a little bit to it. I don't think he's slow or anything, but I think because his technique isn't great, it allows when he's trying to sort of flip his hips and and make those transitions in and out of his breaks, I think there's allows for opposing wide receivers, particularly faster guys at the wide receiver position, that they can create that separation then in those moments. And I saw that at times this year when he faced some of the quicker guys. Um, And that, to me, is going to be a concern next year, given some of the players that the Falcons have on their schedule, including T.Y. Hilton, Will Fuller, Stephon Diggs, Brandon Cooks, D.J. Moore, etc. Some of those guys, I worry about Oliver's ability to match up with. We know that we drafted him primarily because of um, how the Falcons have a number of large wide receivers in their division, and 
Michael Thomas and Mike Evans. And, you know, you got other guys like Alshon Jeffrey on the schedule potentially next year as well. So, you know, I think in those matchups against the size, not again, not to suggest that I think Oliver's going to come in and shut those guys down by any means, but I do think he'll be able to hold his own given his size and whatnot. And that's why we drafted him. But those smaller, quicker guys is sort of what concerns me a little bit. And so, like, for me, you know, I don't necessarily expect Oliver to be bad next year, but I do think there is some potential for him to struggle because of that. And so, like, the worst-case scenario that I'm envisioning is, like, a scenario where, like, Oliver, we we do see that Oliver does struggle against those faster, those smaller, quicker, fast guys. And what then happens is the Falcons are then forced to have to have Desmond Trufant shadow those guys uh, because they just can't trust Oliver to to handle those guys consistently. And, you know, maybe the people that have been bashing Trufant, you know, that that their takes finally look true because, you know, whether it's age or injury or whatever the case may be, uh, Trufant, you know, looks a little bit declined, a little bit less than he has been. And, you know, now being forced to have to cover number one wide receivers each and every week, um, he gets exposed a lot more. Um, and all of a sudden, basically, your Falcons cornerback play just completely falls apart. And, you know, everybody's going to be yelling. You know, some people are going to be yelling, oh, see, I told you Desmond Trufant's trash. And then meanwhile, I'm going to be yelling like, no, it's because Oliver wasn't ready. That's why it happened. Um, and so that to me is like the worst case scenario that I'm envisioning. Not necessarily think that I think that's the likeliest scenario. But I do think the Falcons should at least be somewhat prepared and make some preparations to sort of avoid that scenario potentially. And I think the way that they can potentially do that is, you know, I, I see a lot of people talking about how Dan Quinn and, and this scheme loves big, long corners. And that's true. But I think because of that reason, I think the Falcons really need a guy that can handle speed more so than um, a, another big corner. Um, you know, so for me, like, again, I'm not, that's not to suggest that they need to go out and draft some five, nine corner or anything like that. You can get a, you know, a five, 11, six foot tall guy, but I don't think we necessarily need to gravitate automatically to like the six, two, six, three guy. Um, I just think we need to get a guy that can, you know, basically handle guys that can run a four, four or faster is, is really sort of where I'm hoping the Falcons, uh, can address this off season to basically have that insurance policy in the event that Oliver, isn't able to handle the speed quite to the degree and, and maybe due to true font being a little bit up there in years. Cause I think he's going to be like, like what? 29 this year. Let me double check that. He turns 29, I think in September. So yeah. So, you know, obviously he's probably not going to be as fast at age 29 as he would have been at 26 or whatever. So um, I think that's really sort of where my head is at in terms of addressing some of the depth and, and potentially replacing Robert Alford, a guy that, you know, is fast, that can reasonably deal with speed um, and, you know, is at least competent enough that um, in the event of an injury to Trufant or, or Oliver, that the Falcons at least have a competent outside corner to sort of, you know, plug and play and not necessarily be a massive liability against uh, speed and whatnot. So with that being said, we'll talk about the Falcons' other backup cornerbacks, and maybe one of those guys might be an option, as well as what the Falcons are going to do at their nickel cornerback, looking at Brian Poole and possibly DeMonte Casey in just a moment. 
But I do want to plug the NBA side of the Lockdown Podcast Network, where you can find a daily podcast devoted to all 30 NBA teams, including the Lockdown Hawks podcast with host Brad Rowland. Find that wherever you get your Lockdown podcasts, your team every day. So let's talk about the depth guys um, first, because there's not a whole lot to say about them as, as much as there is about Poole and Casey. Um, Justin Bethel, Bleedy Ray Wilson. Um, I thought Bethel, you know, primarily, or I think exclusively, I don't think he saw a snap on defense, exclusively played on special teams for the Falcons as a gunner on punts. I thought he did a good job there um, as, you know, he was a, a two, three-time pro bowler there in that capacity in Arizona. So I think he did a good job there. You know, the Falcons brought him back to basically for, perform the same feat. I wouldn't have a problem with it. Ideally, it would be on a slightly cheaper contract given uh, that the Falcons don't necessarily have as much cap flexibility to be dropping, you know, 1.75 or whatever it was, million dollars on, uh, you know, purely special teams players. And, you know, one thought process, again, going back to acquiring a, a fast corner, is that, um, you know, that guy could potentially be a replacement for Bethel as a punt gunner if he's not necessarily needed on on uh, defense and whatnot. Um, Bleedy Ray Wilson, I think, you know, didn't get too many opportunities this year, but he was able to make some plays when he was on the field. Uh, there was one pass deflection he had that led to a diving interception by DeMonte Casey. I can't remember which game it was. Um, but you know, I think the thing that you like about Bleedy Ray is he can play special teams. He has experience playing in the slot. He has some experience playing on the outside. You know, he's kind of an ideal fifth cornerback. I don't think he's really an ideal fourth corner, which is again, why I think the Falcons need to upgrade that spot. Um, and so I, I think with Bleedy Ray, uh, you can't really trust him as much in man coverage as you would ideally want, uh, in this scheme as an outside guy. So I feel like the Falcons could do better, but again, if the Falcons were to resign him and basically have him compete for a roster spot, um, as he has done the last couple of years, I'm fine with that. Um, and I should say, I, I didn't say this earlier when I was talking about Oliver, when I was mentioning, talking about the worst case scenario, I don't want to make it imply that I think that the worst case scenario is likely to happen. I fully expect Oliver to play well this year. I think because of the nature of basically lining up across from Desmond Trufant, he's going to see a lot of opportunities, uh, a lot of targets this year. And I think because of his ability, uh, as I mentioned before, those ball skills and whatnot, it wouldn't totally shock me. And frankly, at this point, I really expect it to happen. Um, that he'll probably wind up leading the team in, in pass breakups and interceptions this year because he'll just get a lot of targets this year because I think teams are going to try to pick on him and, and see if, you know if you know if there's blood in the water so to speak. So I don't want to make it sound like I think Oliver's going to be bad this year. I just I think you have to at least you know given we just had a year where the worst case scenario arguably happened given the injuries that hit early in the season and other variables, I don't think you can just go about just assuming that all things are going to work out in favor for the Falcons moving forward. Um, so I just think you have to make, you know, contingencies and whatnot. So that's what I, that's why, I, you know, tend to focus on that worst case scenario. Um, that being said, let's talk about Brian Poole in the nickel spot. Um, you know, I think Poole improved this year. I know he got a lot of grief early in the season. Um, and I think that was in large part due in my opinion, to just kind of poor linebacker play. You know, I'm looking at you, Duke Riley. <laughs> um, and I think it put him in some bad situations. Although I will say that, you know, he had a number of breakdowns, you know, infamously missing some tackles in that Saints game. Um, and a couple of other times where 
teams were able to exploit him a little bit when the Falcons were so zone heavy early in the season. Um, you know, but I think for the most part, Poole was solid this year. I think he definitely improved this year. One of the things that we talked about last year with Poole was the high completion percentage he gave up last year. It was like 84% um, last year. And this year it fell to 71%, which again, is not ideal, but you know, given how much zone the Falcons are playing, um, I think that's a, a reason, you know, that's a contributing factor. And the, the reality, and as I said this a year ago, Poole is not a lockdown man corner. He's, he's functional in man coverage. Maybe, you know, maybe functional is, is underrating him a little bit, but like, you know, you're never going to sit there and look at a guy like Brian Poole and be like, yeah, that guy just completely shut down Julian Edelman or, um, you know, Cole Beasley or whoever else you want to throw into the hat there. Um, Adam Thielen or, you know, Cooper Cup or Kiki Kuti or whoever else. Uh, like, that's not really what Poole's game is. Poole's game is he's going to give up, you know, some completions. He'll contest some throws, um, but he'll make tackles and he'll be a solid run support guy and he can blitz and he can do these things. And he brings a physical presence, um, you know, in the secondary that I think was missing, you know, obviously with Keanu Neal out of the lineup. And I think there were times when Brian Poole was doing his best to try to provide that. And, you know, that that experiment the Falcons had where they had him play strong safety, I think it was against Cincinnati, although it didn't necessarily go well. I don't think the Falcons, you know, I've been a guy that's sort of advocated that Poole can be a safety for a number of years. Um, and I don't feel like he was so poor at that safety position that that's like, oh, well, we're never doing that again. Like, I think that's something that the Falcons can tinker with, particularly if a guy like DeMonte Casey um, winds up, you know, competing with him as myself and, and many other people expect and winds up winning the nickel cornerback spot. And then, you know, people ask me like, why don't I think Casey can be a, a competitor to be an outside corner? I just think Casey's a little too small. And I think, um, yeah, he was an outside corner at San Diego state, um, but he was an outside cover four zone guy. And I think asking him to, cover outside receivers like Michael Thomas and Mike Evans after, you know, two years of playing free safety. I just think that's kind of setting him up for failure. I think, you know, playing a little bit more of an inside slot role is much more akin to what, you know, people that even liked him last uh, when we drafted him as a cornerback, they projected him as a nickel cornerback, as a slot guy, not necessarily an, an outside guy. Um, but yeah, that's where I think you would play Casey. What's going to be interesting to me is sort of how much opportunities Casey gets though, because given the fact that Ricardo Allen is coming off an Achilles tear, you expect Ricardo Allen to miss most of the off season returning from that injury. So you presume that Casey's probably going to fill in at least in OTAs and mini camps at free safety. Um, unless the Falcons bring in somebody else, as well as the fact that Allen, you know, may miss, be limited or whatever uh, during training camp. Um, you know, while I sit here and, and reasonably confident that Ricardo Allen will play for the Falcons in week one, I can't sit here and say with, with absolute conviction that that's going to be the case. So I think, you know, having Casey play, you know, the question is, can Casey legitimately push Poole for the nickel cornerback spot if he's got to spend, you know, the next four to five months, you know, filling in at free safety? So maybe the Falcons can sort of add a sort of another stopgap free safety, similar to what they did with Ron Parker last year. Um, 
and that guy can sort of take those reps as Casey pushes pull for the job. Um, but all of this is to say that it wouldn't shock me whatsoever if Brian Poole is the week one nickel corner. And um, we'll have to see how that competition goes. I feel reasonably comfortable with between Poole, between Casey, as well as uh, Desmond Trufant, who I know, you know, people are holding it against him, uh, you know, where he had some breakdowns against Tyler Boyd in that Cincinnati game, cover him and shadowing him in the slot. Uh, because Alford was shadowing A.J. Green, um, I feel, you know, as I said then, and we'll say now, I feel like if you go back and you watch that game, most of Trufant's breakdowns came in the fourth quarter after the Falcons made a halftime switch to basically play nothing but man coverage uh, after a certain point. And I feel like a lot of those breakdowns had more to do with fatigue than necessarily Desmond Trufant's a terrible slot corner which again is it's the easy conclusion and frankly the lazy conclusion I think some people will make. So um, we'll have to sort of see how that goes. But I think because Trufant can basically, the point is Trufant can play in your slot in the pinch should we the need arise. So I feel pretty good at the nickel cornerback spot between Poole, Casey, and Trufant. The Falcons should be pretty good. And of course, if they bring Red Pleady Ray, that's another guy that they can have there. And of course, Ricardo Allen. But again, coming off of the... Uh, Achilles injury, I think, you know, expecting him to be able to fill in as a cornerback against, um, you know, some of the slot receivers that the Falcons are going to face this year is kind of asking too much. And, and some of those names, again, are Larry Fitzgerald, Adam Thielen, Nelson Aguilar, Doug Baldwin, Cooper Cup, Kiki Kuti. Those are the guys that spend the majority of their time um, at wide receiver in the slot. You know, 50% or more of their snaps come in the slot. And then you have, you know, other guys that are the top receivers for their respective teams, like Michael Thomas and DeAndre Hopkins and T.Y. Hilton, DJ Moore, Dante Pettis, that spend, you know, 25, 30, 40% of their time also playing in the slot. So I think, you know, whoever, whether it's Poole, Casey, or somebody else, I think whoever uh, gets those duties is certainly going to get a number of opportunities to face some high-level receivers, and we'll see how they hold up. But I feel reasonably confident that, you know, Pool and Pool. We know what Pool is at this point. He's not great, but he's solid. Um, the hope is that Casey can be better. Um, I think there's reason to be hopeful of that. Uh, we haven't really seen him get too many opportunities in man coverage um, so far in his short career. He got a couple of those, you know, sort of covering running backs out of the backfield as a rookie, and then this year got a couple of opportunities against slot receivers and whatnot. I didn't think it necessarily failed in 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 many of the, in the few instances I noticed on film. Um, so I, I feel like the skills are there. I just we haven't seen it developed. And and one of the questions I have is will we see it developed this off season? Given the fact that he may be sort of our insurance policy as we wait on Ricardo Allen's recovery. But you know I've made the comparison before. I think he's a less physical version of Buda Baker. Um, so, and Buda Baker plays slot corner for the Arizona Cardinals as you know, Honey Badger did before him. And so the hope is that Casey can be sort of a less physical version of those guys and, and be that viable slot corner and, and give the Falcons, you know, their three safety looks or whatever you want to call it. If you want to call it a big nickel, by all means you can, um, if you want to consider Casey technically a safety, um, so that's it guys on the cornerback position. I do think the Falcons need to address some of their depth here um, now that they've released Robert Alford uh, and get a fast guy, basically. Um, and whether that comes in free agency or the draft, we'll have to see. 
since free agent cornerbacks typically aren't cheap, I would suspect the Falcons will go with a draft pick. But, you know, part of the problem is the quality of cornerbacks typically drops off after round two. So more than likely, if the Falcons draft a guy in round three or four or whatever, you're probably not going to get a guy that's going to be a major contributor right away and probably will just be a depth guy. And we just got to hope that guys stay healthy next year. So we'll have to see how it goes. I'll be curious to see how the Falcons address this position moving forward. But uh, I think for the most part, they're solid. They just need a little bit more help. So there you have it. And um, we'll, you know, talk, come back tomorrow potentially and talk safeties and uh, wrap things up at the end of the week with uh, special teams because you know it matters. And if you have any feedback you want to provide me, you can do so on Twitter at LockedOnFalcons, Facebook at LockedOnFalcons. Uh, the email address is LockedOnFalcons at mail.com. And, of course, you can leave a comment at FileFans.com for the podcast. Today. Until then, guys. You are Locked On Falcons, your daily podcast on the Atlanta Falcons, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.